This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Because if you don't know your history, you don't know your future. And your future is to be what happened the early days under Martin and Jimmy Murphy without doubt and, and, and telling them that what Jimmy did about planting seeds of the, the history that is the most important thing you can do with young players coming to my United tell them what the, their expectation is to realise the expectation this is what for a point for my United there's no point for Bolton Wonders or Burry or, or Rochdale it's a point for the biggest club in the world Well, there can't be much about the Alex Ferguson era at Old Trafford that went under the radar. Um, everyone talks about it taking him seven years to win the league. They talk about Rotterdam, Wembley in 1990, as will we, faithful listener. But arguably this period, the 86-88 to 88, um, spell, that's a period that nobody ever concentrates on Paddy. And in mm. some ways, it's... Um, one of the most fascinating parts, isn't it? The digging, the setting down of fun, uh, foundations there. Yes, it is. In, in retrospect, and probably also because, yeah, you're quite right, it hasn't been given enough attention, and yet it was fundamental uh, to the recreation of, of Manchester United's um, Busby glory under Ferguson. Um, you know, all the, all, the, all the Busby principles being reenacted by Ferguson, who happened to share them. You mentioned the state of the squad in the last episode. One year earlier than Fergie's arrival, they'd just won 2 0 against Coventry to go 15 games unbeaten at the top of the ta- table. Um, in the season before that, there had been two statements by journalists. John Coase of The Guardian asked Strip, Strachan, Stapleton, Hughes, Olsen, have United, have United ever had a better quartet? <laughs> And one esteemed writer, not too far from me on this podcast, described Mark Hughes. I'll tell you what, though, Paddy, I'm I'm with you on this. Mark Hughes as the most evocative player United have produced since George Best. Mm, mm. Um, So tell me a little bit about that, because Mark Hughes is going to be a figure who returns to this. um, Yeah, well, when when Mark Hughes came into the side, um, he... He was a different player from from the Mark Hughes that we'll all remember from his very long uh, maturity because, you know, he played on at a a top level to an incredibly old age for a a centre-forward, especially one who who was willing to have a scrap with anybody who fancied it. Um, But he was a different sort of a player when he... He he was more of a, a finisher, a marksman. He reminded me slightly of Andy Ritchie, who I think I also hailed... um, as a genius upon his arrival at, or his emergence at Old Trafford. Um, but Mark Hughes was definitely one that, that stood the test of time better. Um, but yes, more of a finisher, 
um, uh, rather than a, a team player, a shoulderer for the burdens um, uh, that, that he later later became with United, with Barcelona to an extent, and, and definitely with Chelsea. So, um, yeah, different sort of player, but I was really, really excited, and I'm, I'm glad uh, that that uh, quote of mine stood the test of time, and I'm very grateful to you for quoting that one rather than one or two of my less successful ones. <laughs> um, and uh, let's be fair about this, there was not a great um, judgment call from United to sell Hughes um, just, no. prior, just prior to Ferguson's arrival. Um, it was mm. a controversial decision to let him to go, let him go to Spain. Um, mm. Frank Stapleton was a fine striker, but he was a one-in-three kind of guy and not a one-in-two. Yeah. Wayne United probably needed that. Um, when I was working with Clayton Blackmore on his book, he said that for all of Jesper Olsen and Gordon Strachan's qualities, their tendency to deliberate on the ball could often frustrate the forwards too. Yes. Um, so one year earlier, obviously, this quartet were unstoppable, undefeated in 15 games, destined, it seemed, to, to win their first title in 19 years. Mm. Um, we can talk about United-specific problems, as we have done before, because of the size of the club. We did it in the last show as well. Um, mm. I wanted to lay this scene and everything that we just talked about because it puts a little bit of a different perspective on what Ferguson inherited and also a, a perspective on the bravery that the manager and chairman showed to, to sort of give him the opportunity and say, dig new foundations. Yeah. When it might have been argued that United were close enough, they just needed to bridge the gap. Um, yes. And Paddy, it's a credit to their foresight, and maybe what he sometimes lost is Martin Edwards' love for United and yes. desperation I, to sort I, of add what, he had, uh, what his dad had with uh, Matt Busby. I think, that's, I think that's absolutely true. I think that... Uh, when you consider how much stick uh, Martin Edwards took um, throughout and uh, overlapping into the Ferguson era um, for, 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 me, for many decisions, but not only decisions, but for his perceived attitudes, uh, which, in my opinion, were a misconception. The idea that he was a public schoolboy with a plum in his mouth and uh, no great love of Manchester United, I mean, it, it really was nonsense, that. Um, he, he, he's, uh, he's, a ma- he's as big a United fan as you are, Wayne, and he, he, you know you know that, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, and always has been. Um, so, uh, but uh, but history has has I think softened uh, the image of Martin Edwards, and this is a really good opportunity to explain why, because Ferguson, when he came in, wasn't successful. Bear in mind that. Uh, a board led by Martin Edwards and with Sir Bobby Charlton on it had parted company with Dave Sexton because um, although he was reasonably successful in terms of winning matches the the, the football wasn't very good and crowds were were falling Um, they fell much more sharply in the early years of Ferguson and yet Edwards had learned enough and knew enough and with Bobby Charlton's counsel by his side was enlightened enough to know that Ferguson was building a club as much as a team. In fact, you could say more than a team. Because he was... It's just not that United's youth system collapsed completely under Atkinson or his predecessors, not at all. I mean, you mentioned Mark Hughes, he came through that system. So did David Platt, Mm. you know, good player, you know, a a distinguished international player with England. So David Platt, unfortunately, you know, for United, was allowed to go to, I think it was Crewe, and then on to Villa, and and then Italy, and and became a sort of world star of a sort. Um, But there was him, there were... There were one or two others who, who you, you'll be able to... I mean, uh, Beardsmore, Blackmore, you know, people like yeah. that came through, useful players. 
Um, not comparable maybe with the other two, but uh, useful players. But Ferguson wasn't just producing useful players. He was uh, laying the groundwork for great players to come through. In fact, uh, it was during this period where you couldn't see any improvement in the first team. And I'm talking about three years, the kind of period that managers, no manager would get these days. Mm. Um, and certainly, you know, just ask Louis van Gaal, just ask David Moyes, you know, just ask Jose Mourinho. Um, so it, 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 was, it, it really was a different era, and it was an era that was shaped as much um, in, in a way, off the field, uh, by Edwards, Charlton and the board, um, uh, almost, uh, you know, comparably with the way that Ferguson was very much shaping, reshaping the club off the field and, and, and bringing in, you know, we talk about Mark Hughes and, and David Platt as being top players who came through in the, in the sort of earlier eras, but of course none, neither of those even great, you know, talents, uh, could be compared with Ryan Giggs, who was snaffled away from City um, in that early period of Ferguson, um, during which, you know, there was nothing exciting about the first team particularly, or nothing that you could tell. Um, but, uh, my word, exciting things were happening off the field, and Giggs was the embodiment of that. The first of the, of the Fergie babes, if you like, you know. Um, if Sammy McElroy was the last of the Busby babes, Giggs was the first of the Fergie babes. Yeah, um, although um, with Giggs being a part of the class of '92 and the, the term Fergie's mm. fledglings, which will come up in a oh, later podcast than this, is obviously yeah. um, came a little bit earlier than the '92 class. Um, yes, so. the, the class of '92 was his second wave of youngsters. Um, but I'm, I'm glad we're going to talk about the fledglings because that's. Uh, some of those could be, uh, that was a very unlucky bunch, you know. There were some injuries, but we'll get onto that when in the, when the time comes. In, in due course, yeah. Um, the top scorer in Fergie's first season wasn't um, Stapleton or Hughes. It was Ooh. Peter Davenport, oh, four, yes. fourteen goals. Um, United were a little bit more tough to beat um, after Alex Ferguson came in, but they lost yes. to um, eventual winners Coventry City in the FA Cup, um, yes. so the upset wasn't so bad. And like you mentioned, Paddy, the crowds were going down. Um, 54,000 obviously come for a, a Liverpool game in, in April 87 Davenport scores a late winner but the yeah. following game after that uh, Wimbledon at home Wimbledon come and win 1-0 and th- that's in front of a crowd of 31,000 yeah. um, that's the penultimate league game at Old Trafford the final home game at Old Trafford is in front of 35,000 against Aston Villa um, those co- were big crowds compared with one, of the other, one or two of the others <laughs> that a year later but I'm going ahead of myself yeah. Yeah, um, so yeah a couple of heavy defeats as well towards the end of the season um, that Wimbledon loss was followed by 4-0 defeat at Spurs um, Ferguson seemed to be quite angry towards the end of the season um, most often described as Furious Fergie or Fergie Fury those yeah, combinations yeah. would be in the um, in the press end of the first season he, he sold Frank Stapleton uh, Ferguson's quote was he was bordering on the morose um, <laughs> and he sold him to Ajax and said we can all laugh a bit now um, yeah. indication that he wasn't afraid to make a big change but also um Obviously, Ferguson renowned for this angry atmosphere at United, but um, telling that he's trying to make changes to the dressing room atmosphere as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, it, he he picked his moments. Uh, I mean, it wasn't sort of there wasn't a permanent hairdryer going on. At times, he seemed almost 
respectful of the players. He, he was coming to terms with English football. It, although he knew the English game a lot, being a student of football, and had travelled at his you know, own expense sometimes to come down and watch games in England from, from Aberdeen, it's st- there were still things that surprised him. Like, in Scotland, if you were a, an elite club, you know, Rangers, Celtic, or in Ferguson's time, Aberdeen and Dundee United as well, you, there were certain games you would expect to win. And I think it shocked him in England that you could come down here and you could lose to Oxford, Luton, QPR. Um, you know, the, you know the, the supposedly lesser clubs. And I think it took a... I think there were certain things about it, even for all his, his uh, understanding of the game, there were things that, that took him took him uh, by surprise. And, and one thing he resolved to do, and this, this probably was at the behest, or, sorry, but prompted by Wimbledon as much as anything else, um, was, to, was to make his team bigger and tougher. Mm. Uh, I mean, you mentioned Peter Davenport. He, 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 decent, decent player, and, uh, and he'd done well at, at Forest, as indeed had Gary Berthels, a previous capture from that club. But um, he wasn't... Uh, he wasn't as tough as Mark Hughes say. Um, he was, uh, uh, you know, and this was a theme that went that went through the team. Os- uh, Strachan and Olsen were mentioned by John Course, and I'll have a word about John Course in a moment. The Guardian's John Course. Um, he, you know, those two were little guys, you know, and and mm. they could be, um, you know, I, I'm not sure if Strachan was easy to bully, but. They could they, they could certainly be um, outmuscled, uh, and that was true of Darksbury, of Johnny Sivbeck, um, and 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 a lot of the players. They weren't, you know, they weren't intimidating. And I think Ferguson realised that he would need to get a bit more attitude in the team, a bit more muscle, a bit more attitude. Um, you know, hence no doubt we'll talk about the early signings such as Viv Anderson, such as. Brian McClare and uh, and Steve Bruce, who perhaps you know with his pugilistic uh, uh, appearance, uh, you know, epitomised what what Ferguson thought he needed after the first what was it year eighteen months, yeah, a bit more, a bit more muscle. Uh, but can I just tell you briefly about John Course because you mentioned him, uh, his quote about have United ever had a finer quartet, and uh, much as I loved John, who who I used to work next to. At the Guardian, uh, I would, I would probably put Lawbest, Charlton, and Crerand up against that four, <laughs> um, but, uh, or indeed Lawbest, Charlton, and Tony Dunn. Uh, but anyway, um, yes, uh, John Course was was a, a great lad. He he was a United fan, you know. He loved loved United, and when he wasn't uh, reporting on them on a Saturday, he was he was in his season ticket. In fact, I don't even think he went in the press box. I think he would report from his season ticket. Talk about reporters with a, an agenda. But he was, he, was, um, he was the features editor of The Guardian in the North. So all through the week, he'd be arranging for such and such a critic to go to such and such a play or such and such a, an, an, an art critic to, to go to um, the, 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 uh, an art exhibition at, 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 at one of the great galleries in Manchester or, or, you know, or a play at the Royal Exchange or whatever. And uh, then on Saturday, he'd turn into a, a raving lunatic uh, Man United fan. He was a <laughs> lovely man, very, very um, 
very devoted to, to football in his club, and but uh, a real gent, and I was very, very fond of him. Yeah, and to be fair as well, you don't get to write for The Guardian without being a considered um, person of judgment, basically. And so I think it yeah. speaks volumes about the excitement of that quartet at the time. Um, yeah. It wasn't an overstatement. It obviously no. was in retrospect, and you say they, obviously they can't be compared to those players, but it gives you an idea of how exciting those players yeah. were at the time. It, it was. I remember once writing myself, you know, uh, of when uh, Strachan had had a shot. This was in, in Atkinson's time. And uh, Strachan had, had, you know, jinked round two or three people and then tried a little dink of a, of a chip over the keeper. And it went over and those, it was at the Stratford end and the ball just dropped down onto the crossbar and bounced on the line and bounced out. And I wrote on the Monday that if God had been a football fan, that would have gone in. And uh, and uh, Ron saw me the following week, and he said, "Not a bad line, that son," <laughs> which was rather flattering. Um, funny that in his first few days, um, Alex Ferguson was pictured um, give, being given a tour of the museum by Martin Edwards, considering the the loggerheads Atkinson had been in the building of, of it. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Best Lawn Charlton. Yeah. it's a good point to mention um, that Ferguson also talks about the player you produce being better than the one that you buy he yeah. once wrote in a book um, United's ratio of two of best loan Charlton being reared by the club and one being brought in was the right ratio um, yes. of course we'll talk about how well and how not so well that went throughout this series with, with those homegrown players like yeah. we already mentioned but in those early days we talk about wanting to return that culture to United Ferguson did have discussions with Matt Busby where previously some of his um, predecessors had complained about Busby's interference mm. um, obviously they'd been long enough away that Busby wasn't going to be interfering anymore also with Jimmy Murphy as well um, Fergie yes. in a way couldn't believe Murphy had been alienated after learning how significant he was and yes. sought him out for advice he asked Murphy's advice on what to do and Murphy told him to re-sign Mark Hughes as soon as he could a little bit of patriotism um, coming <laughs> in there um, but he also wanted to instil Murphy's drive and desire into his youth team and you mentioned Ryan Giggs or Ryan Wilson as he was there yeah. um, and we talked about the sort of not complete neglect of um, the predecessors and whilst we could certainly say that Atkinson wasn't as proactive as um, Busby most certainly he did bequeath a jewel to Alex Ferguson in the shape of Eric Harrison didn't he yes uh, absolutely Eric Harrison who basically coached mentored um, hassled. There was a there was a wee bit of Murphy and a Eric Harrison yeah. too. You know, he, he could have a harsh tongue, and uh, so there was there was um, there was stick and carrot uh, in, in as, as as I understand it in Eric Har Harrison's methods, and that was probably why you know a, a contributory factor in that class of '92 coming through. They were yes, they weren't all great hulking brutes, but they all had a. Uh, bristling attitude about them uh, you know there was a bit of the Nicky butt in all of the others too you know and um, I think I think that 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 reflects the you know the attention to character um, and the winning mentality um, as well as the coaching of Eric Harrison yes a, 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 a great legacy um, and and someone who who de rightly deserves to be um, you know, a, a, a leading figure in the history of Manchester United at that time. Yeah, and 
obviously Ferguson was talking about the supplementation of two youth players and one senior player in the short term they needed yeah. more senior players um, after the end of his first season you mentioned Viv Anderson Brian McClare Steve Bruce yeah. he came a little bit into the second season but McClare and Anderson um, were the first two uh, Bruce yeah. uh, Bruce and McClare would go on to become celebrated figures at the club Anderson as well but obviously McClare yeah. and Bruce won titles I think Anderson was a shorter um, uh, shorter you know he took a look at Johnny Sivbeck and thought well nice neat player but my god you know we need someone to grab the games by the scruff of the neck and that was one of the things that Viv Anderson did he had that you know talked before about that attitude that winning mentality well Anderson had that make no mistake about yeah. it and and uh, Fergie tapped him up you know I mean <laughs> no George, George yeah I know you wouldn't <laughs> believe it would you and uh, George Graham told me about it you know well this was many many years later and he said that he got someone who was in the England squad to tap him up well, yeah, it wouldn't take Sherlock Holmes to point the finger at Brian Rob, Rob, Robson, but when they were on England duty, Viv uh, basically decided to join, and nobody could understand why he was delaying signing a new Arsenal contract <laughs> until uh, Ferguson stepped in and got him for what was an absolute bargain, 200,000, 250, something like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was, a, that was an astute, uh, astute short-term buy, McClare was was a tremendous signing because had you'll correct me if I'm wrong, Wayne, but I think he, I think um, Mark Hughes had gone to Barcelona, hadn't he? Yeah. Um, so they needed, and McClare and Hughes, they're not physically similar, but McClare had a lot of, although McClare didn't have that obvious power of of Hughes or belligerence. Uh, my word, he, he he performed those functions. He would, he would give, he chased down defenders. Um, he worked. He was a team player par excellence. Uh, no selfishness about him, even though he scored plenty of goals. He uh, quicker than he looked. Uh, he, he he was uh, he was a tremendous signing, and and really, you know, they paid a lot. They paid nearly nine hundred thousand to Celtic for him. But uh, a really, really significant signing and a terrific player uh, who, what he didn't have in flamboyance, he made up for in uh, contribution to the team. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of um, when Ferguson went to Aberdeen. He got a similar player who would lead the line and bring other players in and and worried defenders, and that was Mark McGee, mm. who ended up winning uh, not only league titles but uh, European Cup winners' cup at Aberdeen. And uh, again, you wouldn't say an exact like for like with McClare, but uh, again, uh, a, a kind of player who who gave much more to the team than maybe every fan would give him credit for. Yeah, McClare. Um a different kind of striker to what United have been used to. But incidentally, he was the first since George Best to score thirty goals in a season, and that was yeah, in his 20, first twenty in the league, wasn't it? Yeah. Was it? Yeah. Oh yeah, 20, 20 league goals. Yeah, yeah. 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 And yeah. so he'd, he'd done brilliantly, and he had that sort of 
bravery in the box to sort of say I'm going oh, to yeah. I'm going to score that goal, um, which yeah. which United desperately needed. Um, they also needed that bravery, like you already mentioned about um, the Wimbledon dilemma. Um, they needed yeah. some kind of physicality in the defence. That's right. And although McLaren's not a huge bloke, can I just tell you a wee story about? about yeah, that? yeah. I went to a function. Actually, it was it was it was in Motherwell. Uh, Scotland, and and because that's near the area where Matt Busby came from, and it was, it was partly to launch the book I wrote about Matt Busby uh, a few years ago, and um, uh, very kindly, uh, Brian uh, agreed to uh, to come up and and talk, and uh, within two minutes, I mean, he's he's combative. I can't remember what he actually said, but he took me off at the knees with a, a verbal tackle and, <laughs> and, and, and the audience there was about 50 people or 60 people there they were roaring and it, it took me ages to be taken seriously after he'd done me and I, I can't remember what it was but it was brilliant so he's still got that wit and, and aggressiveness about him and uh, he's, got, he's got this great big beard and uh, you can hardly see his face actually it's that bigger beard um, but He's still he's got that attitude still he's he's great and 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 that was that was evident uh, throughout the t- his time at Old Trafford you know and 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 his goal scoring record as as you've just alluded to was uh, was was pretty good for someone who did so much for the team as well yeah his um his character and personality became legendary in the the club's official magazine in the 90s yeah. he had a, a column called Chucky's diary yeah. Um, and it was just sardonic. It was just everything Brian McClare oh, that yes. you would expect. He was the, the kind of stories that you wouldn't expect Sir Alex would have allowed in the magazine, but because it yeah. was Brian McClare and the way that he was telling it, um, it'd be like players shooting into the neighbouring gardens, you know, on the cliff because they were playing so badly and stuff like that. <laughs> um, yeah, it was great. Um, and yeah, obviously had a a legacy at the club after uh, retiring as a player as well. Um, yeah. Another player um, who added physicality, we mentioned the defence, Steve Bruce came in and he had that sort of war warrior mentality that maybe hadn't been seen in the, the back line since Bill Foulkes really. I mean, Ma- right. Martin Buchan, a reliable defender, of course, um, supremely reliable, but a very different kind of defender. Yeah. Um, and the idea... I mean, uh, Steve, sorry to interrupt, uh, Wayne, I apologise, yeah. but uh, Steve Bruce could play yeah, oh but yeah, yeah. he'd, um, you know, he he was didn't have the elegance of uh, of Martin Buchan. You're quite right. I mean, in the Buchan and Greenoff. I mean, for heaven's sake, those were they were like midfield players. The way they could pass the ball. Um, Steve Bruce concentrated on 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 playing it simple. You know, in a way like a like like Nobby Styles really he, 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 he such talent as, as as he had he he said listen there's better players than me so I'll give it to them and that that's what he concentrated on yeah and the idea was as well that in Bruce he was more durable than what United had I mean obviously Paul yeah. McGraw had his injury problems um but Steve he, Bruce didn't reckon, if Steve Bruce was injured he he just they didn't know, they seemed to notice yeah exactly I mean the difference I mean you could even you could say that Bruce was like another defender United already had in Kevin Moran um, but Moran might get a blow to the head and he'd soldier through the game mm. um, Oh, you might not know when you'd see Moran again but Bruce he'd get bandaged up and he'd wear the bandage in the next game as well because That's he was right. that kind of player he'd play the oh, 90 yeah. minutes all the time 
Uh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, Kevin Moran, it's a great comparison, actually. But um, I think Kevin had no, uh, no fear and was always up for a fight. But um, if, if, if anybody wanted one. But uh, the other thing is that Kevin wasn't as good a player as Steve Bruce, in my opinion. And it, although he was good, but he wasn't... I mean, Steve Bruce was, was very, very good. He would probably, I would say... If you had a discussion uh, throughout Britain, you know, of who are the best uncapped players oh, yeah. you've ever seen, yeah. uh, I, I don't think anybody in any part of the country could have that conversation without mentioning Steve Bruce. No, absolutely. And I think that, the, well, already there's a little bit of um, tribute going on for him in, in this podcast series, and that's going to only continue because, um, and, and a good thing as well, because I think. If modern listeners will be listening to this and they'll be familiar with the comparisons. Everyone was saying Aaron Maguire's a bit like Steve Bruce, but he's he's better on the ball. And I think people, in doing that, gave Bruce a massive disservice. They see the highlight clips of Bruce as this rambunctious, thunderous heading guy, and they think that's all he was. He was blood and thunder. He wasn't like you already mentioned. He was a very good defender, and and people sort of giving Maguire that comparison. Maguire would have a lot to live up to to be as good as Steve Bruce. I think so too. I I, I must admit I've followed uh, Maguire's career ever since you know I first saw him play for Sheffield United when he was a youngster, and and I thought he was uh, an exceptional you know, a, a guy exceptional for a defender in, in that he wanted to play and he wanted to, you know, mm. you know, play between the lines, if you like, uh, between the first and second line instead of the second and the third. But he, he, he I, I, I thought he was, he was one of my favourite players, you know. Um, but coming to United puts a magnifying glass and so he, in his, his early years anyway at United, he, he probably settled down and become as good as Bruce, but you you wouldn't say that at, at this stage. It, it the, the the scrutiny that you come over uh, at you you encounter at, at Old Trafford is uh, quite something for a player to handle, and uh, it, it didn't really take him all that long, Bruce, before uh, after he came from Norwich, I think it was that that he was looking like a Man United player and it's a it's very difficult I mean even someone like you who studied Manchester United for so many years you'd probably find it hard to define in two sentences what makes a Manchester United player but Bruce very quickly wore the shirt as if it was his skin yeah oh yeah absolutely he um and he was durable as well um and United needed that um they finished second in Ferguson's full uh, first full season, which mm. was um, an impressive achievement. He basically took the best of Atkinson's side, and mm. uh, what what he was in area in anyway, and and then added those three players to them. Anderson, obviously, that physicality and energy at right back. Um, Bruce alongside him at centre half, and McClay getting the goals up front. Um, if you were to pick a team based on appearances, um, the team that sort of finished second in the league might read something like this: It'd be Chris Turner in goal, Anderson at right back. Bruce and then one of McGraw, Moran mm. or Duxbury in the middle mm-hmm. um, Clayton Blackmore Arthur Alberson at left back um, Gordon Strachan and Jesper Olsen on the wings, um, Brian Robson and Remy Moses who sadly got injury um, problems um, and then Norman Whiteside in the middle of the park as well uh, Whiteside would 
obviously Moonlight as a centre forward as well. Um, and then you had Brian McLaren and Peter Davenport up front uh, with Liam Mulbryan, a midfielder in rotation. Numbers weren't great in midfield and attack, even though they, they were plenty in defence. Um, obviously, the big three names at United through the um, Atkinson era were Whiteside, Robson and McGraw, still very much dominant figures in the dressing room. Robson played close to a full season with 36 in the league. Whiteside even managed 27, McGraw 22 though, and that's telling you um, how reliable those players were becoming. And the idea was growing, Paddy, that as talented as those players were, you don't win a league in 27 games, you don't win a league in 22 games, you need players for the 42 or 40 as it was in this season. And that much was evidenced by United finishing second, eight points clear of Forest, but still nine points behind a great Liverpool team as well. Uh, we talked about the mechanics, but let's remember the most famous game in those two years, and which was at Anfield. Um, Liverpool were set to win the title and could win it by beating United, and were 3-1 up and set to win when Colin Gibson was sent off for the visitors. There was a famous comeback for United in the last 25 minutes, Brian Robson scoring, and then Gordon Strachan netting and celebrating by imitating smoking a cigar in front of the cop. He later admitted he was terrified, but did it on, on impulse. Um, it's, a, it's a fond memory of the early Ferguson years. It was almost like the last hurrah of the, Ferg- uh, the Atkinson team, wasn't it? Yes, it was. It was uh, yeah, ter- a, a terrific football match. And, and as you say, a little bit of that cockiness... Um, from from Strachan and and as you know he was honest enough to say that if he thought about it uh, he wouldn't have done it but uh, yeah it was it, it it was kind of one of those sort of iconic moments and it was I suppose it was a a, a, a shaft of glamour in an era that was sorry in a in a, in a sort of passage of the Ferguson years that was that was a little bit short of that and and. Uh, you know, we all know the phrase. You know about about you know the the imperative to knock Liverpool off their perch. Um, I, 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 in fact, it was uh, it was Arsenal really that had to be knocked off a perch. But uh, it was it was uh, in the end. But but Liverpool were 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 the were the yardstick then, and 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 to come back like that with ten men on their ground was uh, was quite something. Yeah, and like I said, vintage Atkinson. Um, they refused to uh, lose at Anfield, really, under Anderson, uh, under Atkinson. So it's funny that um, there was a little bit of that feeling still there. And I think Ferguson, obviously, there would be some famous defeats by Liverpool as yeah. um, he tried to rebuild United, um, which we'll, we will be talking about in due course. After that game, Fergie told reporters it was no surprise managers have to leave here choking yeah. on their own vomit. Yeah. Biting their tongue, afraid to tell the truth, knowing they have been done by the referee. Um, yeah. Liverpool manager Kenny Dalglish was feeding his uh, baby daughter Lauren nearby and told the press you'll get more sense out of her. Um, but this was, I mean, this but was. If a- you've, uh, I'll tell you, if you've ever bitten your tongue while choking on your own vomit, Dwayne, uh, <laughs> and I, I know that you, with your impeccable lifestyle, would never have got in that situation, but um, it's not easy. And uh, no, you're right. Dalgleish was walking past with his baby daughter Lauren in his arms, and he said to the the guy who was interviewing Ferguson, "You might as well talk to my daughter. You'll get more sense out of her." Um, but it was it was what was significant about that, I thought, was for Ferguson to be so irate about drawing at Anfield. Yeah. You know, drawing at the best. You know, but well, in, in fact, it was just after. 
I don't know if it was the next game, but it was just after that game that Liverpool beat Nottingham Forest 5-0 at Anfield and uh, Sir Tom Finney uh, said he'd never seen a better display of football in his life. So that's the magnitude of the result. And for Ferguson not to be (coughs) excuse me, totally happy with his day's work, you know, was an indication of what Martin Edwards had seen. Do you remember in the last episode we spoke about how Martin had, uh, and Bobby Charlton, when when deciding who they wanted as their next manager after Ron Atkinson, Martin remembered being impressed when Ferguson had a go at Aberdeen uh, for only winning a cup final 1-0 and not swashbuckling their way to the, to the, to the trophy. Um, you know, his standards being so high. And the fact that he was furious at only drawing with 10 men at Anfield um, was you know, another example of this uh, perfectionism. Yeah, Liverpool's evisceration of Nottingham Forest was indeed a week after that. It was the, I guess you would call that the symbolic game of the 80s in domestic football yes. um, because of the size of the defeat and the fact that Forest were obviously previous European Cup winners, Liverpool... Um, we're just playing this incredible brand of football, um, one of the best Liverpool teams of all time. Um, that draw between the teams was the only game in the last eight where United dropped points. So the nine-point gap between United and Liverpool showed how early Liverpool had taken control of the, the division and also how, how strongly United had finished. Um, it finally seemed as though momentum and consistency, two words missing from United, were present under the new manager. To bridge that gap... Sir Alex made a move for Paul Gascoigne of Newcastle United and felt assured that the mercurial midfielder would move to Old Trafford. But that's a story for another day. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.